Well, hello, I'm Logan Carr, and I was privileged to be invited to speak at the IFCA convention this year. And I was so looking forward to coming to Kentucky and to see you all. And then God closed the world. So here we are. Here we are now having a conference online, and I would much rather be speaking to you face-to-face, and as it says in Second John, so that our joy may be complete, and oh, how much better when we can gather together, when two or more are gathered, Jesus is in our midst, and what greater joy is that? So... I'm sorry we can't see each other face to face, uh, but I have been praying that the Lord would bless us beyond what we can imagine or hope for um, in these strange and dark times we live in. Now, the first video that you are going to see really focuses on the invisible world. We will look at what scripture has to say about the day when we hear a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we will all be together to meet our Lord in the air. We are going to use our sanctified imaginations to imagine that glorious day when Jesus comes for his church. So we are also going to take a look at the invisible world as we look at the role that angels play in our lives. And this is very exciting as we learn from scripture about the invisible world of angels. And lastly, we're going to look at what is going to happen when we are summoned to the Bema. And what is the Bema? The Bema stands for the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a reward judgment. We are all going to give an account to Jesus and he is going to reward us for what he did through us with what he gave us. That's pretty stunning. And as we learn about the judgment seat of Christ, it really is going to change how you approach your every day. It's going to to change how you, you make choices See, life matters, choices matter, our actions matter, our our life has consequences, and one life connects to another, and one little thing you do for somebody can affect thousands of people, and you won't even know it until you get to the Bema. All our choices have eternal consequences. So I pray that as you listen to this video today, and oh, you could be probably, you know, doing your dishes or doing some things around the house while you listen, but we're going to just all of a sudden burst out into song and praise and worship. We're just going to start singing as we gaze upon Christ in the beauty of his word. So whatever you're doing as you're listening to the video, when we start singing, just stop and praise him. And you know what? If the kids are around, have them sing along. They're all real familiar hymns. So just have a wonderful time praising and worshiping him. him. But I do pray that this will encourage and strengthen even the weak and weary among us. Ministry is hard. I think that men have to be called to ministry because nobody would go. I mean, it's hard because we're all just dirty, rotten, stinking sinners who need to be saved by grace. So what a great day it's going to be when we can all gather together again. But we're going to look at the even greater day when we gather to meet him in the air and we will be forever together with Jesus in heaven. 
You, you have a glorious trip into the heavenlies and I'll see you when you get back.
What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life the rain, the storms, the hardest nights Are your mercies in disguise? Well, this morning, ladies, we are going to talk about what will happen on the next greatest day in the history of the world. Now, there have been only a few greatest days in the history of the world, and every one of those days have centered on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first greatest day in the history of the world was when God stepped out of heaven onto this little planet he created and was born to a virgin the incarnation. God came to earth as a man to make a way for sinners to get back to God. And all of redemptive history was lying in a little manger as a helpless babe. Now, it might have been a quiet night in that stable. Maybe there were a few from the sheep. But mostly a silent night as we sing about every Christmas. But I'm going to tell you something. It was anything but silent in the invisible world. Satan had been working since his fall to destroy the messianic line, to destroy God's plan of redemption. And do you think that the night the Messiah was born, he was going to sit back and allow it to take place without a fight? There must have been such a fierce battle going on in the heavenlies, in the invisible world. We can't even fathom. Because the verse in Revelation 12 tells us that it shows first a pregnant woman crying out, screaming in pain as she's about to give birth. And then it jumps to the scene where Lucifer is swept out of heaven with a third of the angels and they are all flung to earth in judgment And then the word says, and this is fascinating, you might have missed it. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. Now that's going to change your manger scene that you're going to put up in a couple of weeks. And the minute the baby was born, maybe there was a scream, but it maybe wasn't from the mother. Maybe the blood-curdling scream came from the invisible world, the scream of Satan himself in anger, rage, and defeat that he could not stop the birth of the Messiah. But he didn't stop there because you know he had another plan, and he worked through Herod and attempted to kill the child in a massacre of every male baby. 
Oh, this was a great and victorious day when God lay in a manger. The next greatest day in the history of the world, see, we're having a history lesson, was when Christ bore all our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It was a great and victorious day when he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And he gave up his life for an atonement for all the sins who would believe. And of course, three days later, the next greatest day in the history of the world, when the tomb was empty, he backed everything he set up with a resurrection. And our Savior conquered sin, death, and hell when God the Father raised him from the grave. And then his ascension, and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father, waiting patiently for the next greatest day. And the next greatest day in the history of the world will be when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and will remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. That's what's next. So today, we are going to use our sanctified imaginations as we looked at that great day when eternity breaks into time and the Lord himself will snatch every believer alive into the heavenlies. So I ask myself, what happens when we get there? And no matter what we imagine today, even all of our collective imaginations together, we won't even come close <laughs> to what it will really be like. But we are told in Holy Scriptures to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set our mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will be with him in glory. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to set our heart and mind on things above. So what does it look like? up in heaven on that day when we are snatched. There's no way to describe in earthly terms, so we're going to rely heavily on God's word to inform our minds. Now, John, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all those who have come before us struggled to describe what they saw in heaven. Revelation 4, John tells us there was one sitting on the throne like a jasper. It was not really, but it was like a jasper, like a sardius. They use the word like all the time. It was like a jasper and like a sardius. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. They, they used the language the best they could, but they had heavily weighted disclaimers using that word like. Ezekiel 1's the same way. It was something like a throne. It was like lapis luzi in appearance, whatever that is. Paul didn't even try to tell us what he saw when he went to heaven. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us he was caught up to the third heaven, caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And the third heaven is the abode of God. And Paul couldn't, wouldn't talk about it. So let's imagine when the moment happens, when Christ snatches us away, we're going to be going about our normal daily activity. Mothers will be changing diapers. 
uh, or driving young teenagers to around to music lessons and to, to sports practices, right? Kids will be in school, dads will be working, and people will be driving on the freeway, and I'll be shopping at Vaughn's because that's where I seem to be all the time. And when the eternal God breaks into time, I'm wondering, will time stand still? Because the word says that for those left behind, it will happen so fast. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed in a moment. But for believers, you know, I'm wondering, will everything like go into slow motion? Imagine driving on the freeway and you hear this terrible explosion of thunder. Thunder like you've never heard before. And you live in Southern California. You don't even know what that is when it's raining. Right? And then all of a sudden, a thunder, there becomes this violent shaking. That's a little more familiar. But then you realize the thunder and the shaking is a voice. It's a thunderous voice. By the sheer power of it, you know it's not a human voice. And if something it's, you've never heard before, so how can it even be explained other than the word says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the normal sunny day is gone and the light of Christ dominates the sky. It's a thousand times brighter than the brightest sun, and yet we're inside the light, hidden away with Christ in God. And yet it's shining all around us. And now, all of a sudden, we're flying up, 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 up in the air to meet the Lord. I mean... Will we be aware of everyone or anyone around us? Is it just this mass of human bodies flying up in the air? I mean, are angels there to help us fly? I don't know how to fly. Do you know how to fly? I don't know how to fly. What am I doing up here? At the end of the tribulation, Matthew 24 tells us it's that the God will send his angels to go and collect the saints from the four corners of the earth. But now here in the rapture of the church before the tribulation, well, I just don't know. I mean, angels are intricately involved in the church and this is a big moment for the church. So they maybe they're there to help us up. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see what happens, won't we? But we will be flying up to meet him in the air and it seems like... There's an opening in the sky. It's a door. Maybe it's the same door that John talked about in Revelation 4. Whoa! It's the door he passed through when he was ushered into the throne room of God. Now, millions of saints, some raptured saints, are racing through the doorway and assembling together in the third heaven, the abode of God. And then we see him. Oh, that's what it means. He is the radiance of God's glory. If we have breath in our glorified bodies, our breath will be taken away. He will be so magnificent. Sing with me in this beautiful song. There is a redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son. 
precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face, and there I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord will give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. Christ the Lord, for he alone is worthy. For he alone is as raptured saints, does each individual person have that individual moment eye to eye with our Savior? Or is it the whole of the church seeing him at once? Maybe it's both at the same time. Scripture does not say, but because we are so trapped in time, we are so grounded in the flesh, we have no idea what it will be like, but we will, we know he will be the most beautiful, the most glorious sight we have ever seen. And we will know what it's like to fix our eyes on Jesus because we won't be able, we won't want to take our eyes off of him. Our hearts will break with joy, with humiliation, with exaltation, with awe, yes. And we will finally know what awesome really means and it wasn't the pizza. (laughs) It wasn't even the new car you got. It is our Jesus. Our Jesus, who is truly awesome, we will be filled with awe, relief, peace. The fight is over. The battle done, eternity's issues have begun. And with our eyes fixed upon our glorious, beautiful Savior, we all do what we all yearn to do. We, we fall down. We maybe bow down. 
Or maybe we just stand in awe and let's stand in awe right now, transfixed on him and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords by let's recite Revelation 5, 9 together. You are worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing for you were slain and have purchased us with your blood from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall love for me. He took my sins and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Sing it to him. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Sing to him. How marvelous, Revelation 5, let's say that to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. We will have no idea how long our worship lasted. Hours, days, years, we will be outside of time. Time will not exist. We will finally know what it means to be lost in wonder, love, and praise And then the Lord will speak. It will be the most powerful voice and yet the loveliest, most soothing voice all at the same time. 
He will say, my beloved ones, your place is prepared. Enter into the joy of your salvation. Enter into the fullness of life everlasting. And the Lord will tell us that he has gifts and honors and rewards to distribute to us and that he will soon summon us to the bima. What is the bima? Now I say bima, but the scholars say bima. But you know, between us girls, we're going to say bima. Leave those scholars behind today. Bema is a Greek word for the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you won't find the word bema in your English New Testament. When you're sipping tea, reading through your Greek New Testament, you will then find the word bema. <laughs> and that means the judgment seat of Christ. So our Lord is going to summon us to the bema. And this is a reward judgment. Were you faithful while you were on the earth? This is an award ceremony of sorts. I mean, it's amazing. It's stunning that he would give us an honor or a reward for anything. (laughs) Just being in his presence is more than enough. And perhaps while we're waiting for the Bema, it will be revealed to us what will now happen on the face of the earth. But I have a feeling that because we're in heaven, I don't think we're going to want to know what's going on in the earth. (laughs) But to give you a sense of the timeline, while we're safely tucked away in the heavenlies, in Christ, on earth there will begin a seven-year tribulation, just like Daniel foretold. Even as far back as Moses in Deuteronomy 4 spoke of the tribulation in the last days, and more importantly, just as Jesus himself as recorded in Matthew and Mark and then in the book of Revelation. From Revelation chapter 6 to 19, we are given the details of that period of time. John, the writer, sees that there will be, and this is just kind of summary of what's going to be going on in the earth. There's going to be war. There's going to be famine. 25% of the world killed. The collapse of the heavenly bodies. One-third of the earth will be destroyed. One-third of the seas will be destroyed. One-third of the stars will be wiped out of heaven. The release of hell's demons will overrun the earth. The slaughtering of the beast will take place, the false prophet as well, and that consummates their evil. And then body sores will be all over men. They'll be crying out to die. Everyone in the sea and all the living creatures are killed. You see why we won't be wanting to think about this in heaven. All fresh water will be polluted. Scorching sunlight will burn people to death. Darkness will cover the earth. Pain, sores, more demons, and it goes on like that from Revelation 6 to 19. All of that horror will happen in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The judgments come with increasing speed and intensity until the whole world gathers together at the great day of God the Almighty, and they gather together in the place called Armageddon. This all happens after Christ removes his church from the earth in the rapture and he brings us safely into heaven where we will continue to be stunned by everything we are seeing and hearing and learning. And we will be completely amazed that we are safe and have entered into the fullness of joy. And before we get to the Bema, maybe we'll enjoy and start to meet 20 centuries of redeemed saints. Won't that be cool? I mean, you can have a conversation with Paul. You can maybe just sit down and talk to Luther. Or or maybe you'd like to just talk to Jim Elliott. I kind of want to talk to him. (laughs) But all the while, as we greet one another, we will be surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels. Quite astonishingly, the angels will know us. Yeah, 
Have you ever thought about that? On earth, we are surrounded all the time by millions and millions of angels. Do you know that there are about 280 references to angels in the Bible? In the study of the Bible, we find angels in the third heaven, and that's where God lives, it tells us. And we find them in the second heaven. They're crisscrossing the universe and the solar systems. And we find them in the first heaven, and that's the atmosphere of the earth. They are in every strata of the universe that God created and revealed to us in the Bible. That's how come we can know about it. So they exist in an entirely different dimension that we cannot even possibly begin to comprehend. It was Albert Einstein who said that it is quite possible that a railroad train could be passing through this room right now, but we wouldn't know it because it's in a different dimension. (laughs) God created the angels before time began, and since they do not procreate, God created in an instant exactly the number of angels that exist today. They have no capacity to reproduce, There are no new angels. There are no baby angels. They do not die, so there's no decrease in the number of angels. And according to scriptures, they are persons with personality. Every one of them is unique. We are creatures. They are creatures. We both are limited in time and space. We both are very dependent upon God for existence and well-being. We both are accountable to God, and yet we differ. They are actually in a higher place than we are right now. God created the angels with intelligence, emotions, and will. And Dr. MacArthur has done an incredible, just as a side note, a whole study on angels. Go on that Grace to website and go through it all. It's incredibly, incredibly informative. But angels are intelligent. At the empty tomb, Matthew 28 says the angel said to the person, fear not, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Intelligence can communicate. Intelligence has conversations. It talks, okay? Revelation 17, the angels understand the plan of God. They have to understand it because they unfold the plan of God. Angels don't know everything. It's not, they're not omniscient like God, but they are intelligent creatures. Angels have emotion. In Job 38, 7, it says they sang together and shouted for joy at creation. Singing expresses emotion. Joy is an emotion. And they experience joy in worship. When you worship, you express emotion. In Isaiah 6, the angels are all around the throne worshiping the Lord with great emotion and deep joy. I mean, they're singing holy, not once, not holy, twice. They're going holy, holy, holy. It's just just overflowing with joy and emotion. So they have intellect, they have emotion, and they have a will. Um, Hebrews 1.6, and when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So God invites the angels to do something which indicates they have a will to do it. And angels are here right now. They're riding on that train. <laughs> They can see us, but we can't see them. They are watching us. They are an extension of God's love and care and protection 
and of his grace and provision. Angels are a part of an invisible world that we don't think much about. And we can accept angels at Christmas time. Okay, but beyond that, I'm not going there. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not thinking. And there's actually historical and cultural reasons why people ignore them. And that's a whole other study. But they are here among us right now. And it's okay to think about them. Okay? Just to give you a little relief. So angels are not to be worshipped. Revelation 19 says when John was overwhelmed by all that he was seeing in heaven, John fell down at the feet of the angel who was showing him around heaven. And the angel said, don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. Isn't that stunning? Worship God. And in Colossians 2, it says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize, which is at the Bema, by delighting in false humility or the worship of angels. So scripture is very clear. Worship God, period. Do not worship angels. Do not pray to angels. They do not and they cannot answer prayer. This is very important for us to understand. Angels come, this is so cool, to deliver answers to prayer. We pray to God and they come to answer the prayer. Oh, that's just so cool. Matthew 18.10, Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. We must pray to God, and then God dispatches the angels in answer to our prayers. On earth, we never had what was called a guardian angel. We probably had numerous guardian angels. And they will all know us. And we will meet them. Scripture tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve and care for those who will inherit eternal life. These angels are continually, as I said, watching the face of God, ready to be dispatched. They're ready for their orders to go help a believer in need. Or in my case, to make sure the one who was going to believe would live long enough to see the day of salvation. Part of my testimony is I was run over by an 18-wheeler truck. A real one. It wasn't a figurative language thing. It was a real one. It was a big one. And I had fallen asleep at the wheel, going 75 miles an hour down the freeway. And I woke up, and there was a truck in my lane. I swerve out of the way, and I go right back underneath the back wheels of the truck. And the car is disappearing in front of me, (laughs) being crushed. And all of a sudden, right at the very last moment, the moment when I was going to be crushed by the wheels, it flipped up. It flipped up, and I flipped up in the air, and I rolled twice and smashed into a cement embankment and walked away without a scratch. Now, (laughs) when I became a believer and I read Psalm 91, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know Psalm 91 before. It says, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. I read that and I wept. I wept. And if I'm, when I go to the Bema, I maybe get to see that accident from the invisible world's point of view. Maybe I'll get to see how many angels were there that were lifting the the car or that were doing whatever they did. I'll get to see it because that was unbelievable that it flipped up right at the last minute. 
And perhaps these angels protected me against my own foolishness and sinful flesh. Maybe I could have been in worse shape, which is really hard to believe, (laughs) than I was in the day I repented and believed God. Stunning to think about it. And then I'll meet them. I'll get to thank them. And they're probably going to say, we're really glad you just came to know the Lord because it was getting really hard to keep you alive. (laughs) Man. But those angels have watched over us and saw us at our best and has seen us at our worst sinful moments. Think about this. The angels would have seen evil in its most horrific form because they were there when Lucifer was hurled out of heaven. They would know the harm and the destruction and the sorrow caused by sin. They saw it with their own eyes. Maybe that's why when we all come to salvation through faith in Christ, that the angels rejoice. Luke 15, 10 says there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. No wonder. And 1 Peter 12 talks about how angels marvel at salvation. Isn't it cool to think about angels? I I think it's cool. It's very likely one of those angels who have been protecting us will show us around heaven and help us acclimate to our new dwelling place. After all, it was an angel who showed John around the book of Revelation. Angels were all throughout the book of Revelation, and they were very busy because angels carry out the judgment of God. They deliver answers to prayers that we pray, and they carry out at the judgment of God as well. So angels were present at the birth of Christ. They were present at the resurrection and ascension. They were not present at his death. He was all alone. Even the father turned his face away. Angels, however, will be present when he returns, and they will be there in heaven with us. So back to the Bema. The Greek word for the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, tells us exactly what it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, good or worthless. Every believer has been given his life, talents, natural abilities, gifts of the spirit, wealth, possession, a specific number of days. Every single believer has a very unique package, very unique. And the millions and millions of saints are all unique in what we receive in trust from God. And at the Bema, every person will give an account of how those things were used. Were you faithful with what he gave you? Romans 14, 10 through 12, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. And each one of us, each one of us will give an account before God. So this is not a judgment. This, this is not judgment for sin. All sin for every believer has been forgiven. Colossians 2 has a beautiful picture of that. It says, having forgiven us all the transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt that, consisting of decrees that was against us, they have all been nailed to the cross. So picture this huge certificate. It's like as big as the ceiling, as tall as it, and the words on it are all, everything that was against you. Mine probably have to be like, you know, 10 of them. 
right? But you get there, and all the letters just fall off. There's nothing there. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You will not be a defendant on trial, defending your sin. Nope, no believer will ever be judged for sin. You will not be compared to anyone else. At the Bema, it's a reward judgment, eternal rewards. It's like the end of the Olympic Games, and that's the picture it gives us. It's the proper picture. It's the picture of a huge arena, a stadium full of people, and the Bema is the platform that the winner of the race steps up to. It's the platform where you receive your reward. That's the picture. It's not about works. It's about faithfulness. At the Bema, now get this, Christ is going to commend you for what he did through you with what he gave you. That doesn't even make any sense. That's so stunning. That's stunning grace. Everything that has been accomplished in his power and for his glory will survive. He's going to reward you for the work that he did through you with what he gave you, just in case you didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> he died to redeem you, and this list is in your little booklet. He rescued you from sin, death, and hell. He forgave you. He made you new. He created a new soul in you. He gave you his spirit to indwell you. He goes ahead of you to prepare works for you to do. He transforms you, and then fruit comes forth as he expresses himself through you. And now he's going to reward you. <laughs> it's amazing. So the Bema is this conversation every believer will have with Jesus about what you did with what he gave you. Were you faithful? If you were faithful, you'll be fruitful. Now, this may shock some of you. It shocked me in my study, but not everyone is going to hear, well done. Yeah. No believer will ever lose his reward. Everyone who is saved will be glorified, period. But it is possible for a believer to enter the heavenly realm spiritually bankrupt. Some lives will actually burn to ashes in the Lord's evaluation because they were not done in his power for his glory. Do you really think that a believer who has been more disobedient than obedient, who has squandered the resources the Lord has given them and spent valuable time and spent their money on worldly lusts, and maybe they were just playing with all the toys in the world, should they get to hear well done? Or what about a believer who did not use his gifts or talents, but instead used those gifts and talents for their own personal gain? Do you really think that person is going to be commended by the Lord and hear the words well done? So if you think about that, perhaps it will cause you, perhaps it has caused me to make better choices throughout each day. There is no actual verse that really says, you know, not everybody's going to hear well done, but you'll hear it as we unfold these scriptures in a second. But keep that in mind. It's all about the choices. At the Bema, we're going to, Christ is going to discuss with each believer the quality of your building, and you'll find this outline in your booklet, the stewardship of your resources, and the motives of your heart. <laughs> so... The quality of your building. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But here it is. Be careful. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. 
For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. That's the bema. That's the day. Because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward at Babima. Okay? But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. See, everyone who's saved is glorified, but you're not going to hear well done. Got it? So it's 1 Corinthians 3. All right there. If Jesus evaluates your life and it is burnt to ash, you will suffer loss. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're not going to hear well done. Now, it's a picture of a house built on a foundation, and the builder uses all sorts of materials to build on that foundation. That's your life. That's the picture of your life, the choices that you make every minute. And then a fire sweeps in, and all that's flammable goes up in smoke, leaving only ash that blows away in the wind. So the wood, hay, and stubble are not necessarily evil things. They represent shallow things. Anybody spend any time doing shallow things? Yeah. Shallow activities have no eternal value. That's why they burn up. How many hours a day do you spend doing shallow things? Only those precious stones remain, the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels. Everything else is ash. The fire even refines the precious stones, and only the purest gold and silver remain. That's the picture that Scripture is giving us. We will be evaluated on the quality of our building materials, what we are using to build our lives. Second thing, the stewardship of, our, of your resources. All right, Matthew 25, you know it well, talks about the parable of the talents. The one guy's given five talents, he gives five talents back. Two talents, and he gives two talents back. They're faithful. Each one of those servants hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. Right in Matthew 25. In the verses, uh, chapter 25, verses 24 through 30, the hypocrite is exposed. The professing believer is unmasked as a fraud. The worthless slave who buried his one talent will be thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Professing believers are different, given different levels of responsibility, and the two represented in, in Matthew 25 are faithful and fruitful. Okay? A faithful believer will be a fruitful believer, and then you will be rewarded for that. Matthew, Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. God wants our hearts to be in heaven. They want them heaven. He wants them heaven bound. So he says, put your treasures in heaven so your heart will be there. Everyone has been given a certain amount of time. Talents, spiritual gifts, natural abilities, You know, perhaps you were raised in a Christian home. Boy, what a privilege that is. Everyone is totally unique. Every believer will give an account to the Lord of how all those things were used. This is not about working your way to heaven. Simply 
Have you been a good steward with what God has given you? Is that clear? Okay, next thing. That, this, is, this is the hard one. Motives of your heart. <laughs> First Corinthians 4 or 5, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, for who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness, and he will disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now, I bet you were surprised when you heard the word praise. You know, because you think motives, and we all go, he knows everything. But... Look at that. You're not going to be judged for sin. You are going to receive praise from God because of your motives. I I bet you probably never thought that motives would be rewarded (laughs) because we're always trying to beat them back into something good, right? The final rewards will not be based on outward service but on inward devotion that only God can see and reveal. So it's the quality of your building material, the stewardship of your resources, and the motives of your heart. So now that we know what the Bema is, Jesus is going to talk to you about what you did with what he gave you. Let's imagine the scene. Our glorified bodies not only walk and run, but they are like Christ's resurrected body. So they can appear and disappear. Probably now we've learned to fly. Who knows? But all the redeemed, raptured saints gather from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and maybe they just come flying in or they just appear. (laughs) And however the glorified bodies get around the heavenlies. But these are the saints of the church age. Only the church age saints will be at the Bema. You're not going to meet Queen Esther at the Bema. All right, Nehemiah won't be there. King David won't be there. Just church age saints. So imagine 20 centuries of saints having arrived in this huge arena and the largest stadium you can ever imagine. Everyone is rejoicing mixed with a reverence and a holy anticipation of the Lord's arrival at the Bema. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is about to come into our midst and it's time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And the Lord arrives, the awe-inspiring sight. No wonder John describes the vision of the glorified Christ the way he did. Let's all say together, Revelation 1, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash, his head His hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face shining like And Revelation 4, 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them, six wings and full of eyes around and within, day and night, did not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, earth. 
Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. can we contain our love and adoration when we see him? We will just burst into song, offering a deep worship. Did we ever worship him fully while on the earth? Or did we worship and sing to him in a mundane kind of way? Did you ever take time to find out why God created singing in the first place? Now's the time to figure that out. Here in heaven, we will really know what true worship is, and then we will begin. We will witness every saint's bima. Imagine being there to witness millions and millions of saints receiving their rewards. I mean, it's a good thing there's going to be no time, because to experience all of that would take thousands of years in terms of time, but there will be no time in the heavenlies. We won't get tired. We won't get bored. We won't have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) We will be riveted, riveted to each man's testimony, each life's testimony. And we will marvel at his astounding grace and his million miracles of his providence in every moment of everyone's life. So what will we know of each person? Will we hear each detail of every person at the Bible? Or is it a private conversation between Jesus and the believer And maybe we just get the overall picture, the overall sweeping picture of a life, because Scripture doesn't really say exactly what it is going to be like, but we know that we'll know everybody. We know that. I mean, think about that Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John instantly knew Moses and Elijah. We will all rejoice when each person receives their rewards because each one of their lives touches another life. 
One life can have countless blessings on a myriad of people without the person ever knowing it. Life upon life, person upon person, one little thing you did for one person could affect hundreds and thousands of people. One life connecting to another. If you touch a life, even in a simple way, even if you give that cup of cold water, water that it talks about in Matthew 10, 42, you shall not lose your reward. That one little kindness done for the glory of God in mind, and that person goes out and does incredible things for the Lord and reaches thousands of people, guess what? You're actually going to be credited for all those people because of the one thing you did for that one person that has eternal value. I mean, it's stunning. So let's imagine this missionary. I want to tell you about a missionary named John Gibson Patton. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his life before we imagine his bima. But John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrides in the mid-1850s. The New Hebrides was part of a group of islands in the South Pacific, and they were all inhabited by cannibals. In fact, a few years before John and his wife arrived on this island, two other missionaries showed up, and they were instantly killed and eaten by the cannibals. Yes. Uh So John and his wife go anyway uh, in 1859. And one night, the natives surrounded their little hut. The cannibals were frantically dancing and jumping up and down in the jungle, and they desired to kill John and his wife. And knowing full well what had happened to the other missionaries, they knew they knew that they would be eaten as well. So what did they do? They were helpless. They were helpless, absolutely helpless. They got down on their knees, and they prayed. And soon after that, the attackers just vanished into the jungle. They were gone. A year later, the chief of that tribe became a believer. And John asked him, you know, what happened that night? (laughs) About a year ago when your natives surrounded our little hut and then all of a sudden you just left. I mean, what happened? The chief said, well, um, it was because of all those men you had with you. And he said, what are you talking about? (laughs) There were no men. It was just me and my wife. And the chief said, no, we saw men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining clothes with swords in their hands, totally circling your hut. We ran. (laughs) Wow. Three months after their arrival, John's wife gave birth to a son. And quite unexpectedly, the wife died of tropical fever. And 36 days old, the son died as well. Yeah. John buried his wife and child together, very close to that little hut. And he would spend the night sleeping on their grave so the cannibals would not eat their freshly laid bodies. Perhaps, perhaps, the same legion of angels that chased away those cannibals that night were the ones protecting him as he slept on his beloved one's graves. He then served alone on this island, sharing the good news of the gospel for four more years. And and then he did remarry and continued this gospel ministry to cannibals in the South Sea. So imagine John Gibson Patton's Bima. John will get to meet those angels that saved his life more times than he could probably ever have imagined. Remember, angels can't answer prayer. They come in answer to God. We pray to God and the angels deliver the answers to prayer. Only God can answer prayer, but angels deliver. 
Those angels were sent in direct answer to the prayers of John and his wife when they knelt and prayed. That night they were surrounded. But who else was praying for them? Who even knew they were in the New Hebrides? Were thousands of people praying for John and his wife? This was 1859. There was no social media. There was no cell phones. There was no Facebook to alert every Christian to an urgent prayer request. In fact, the people of John's church thought he was nuts going to where the cannibals lived. He said, we have unbelievers here. But perhaps it was just the faithful prayers of his father and mother. Maybe they were the only two people praying for him. And I found out John Patton's father was an incredible prayer warrior. He would pray three times a day, hidden away in a prayer closet of his home. The entire family of 11 children knew his practice, and they reverenced the spot he would hide away to pray in after each meal. And he also gathered his family to pray two times a day. Are you doing anything shallow these days? This guy didn't have time for shallow. He was too busy praying. One of the prayers his father prayed, this was really cool, when he was sending John off to divinity school. God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. So were the angels dispatched by God to protect John from evil in direct answer to his father's prayer? God used this missionary. Not too many people know about him. God used him to change the direction of thousands and thousands of cannibals in the South Sea in the mid-1800s. All those cannibals will be all those converted cannibals will be rejoicing at John's Bema. The 12,000 cannibals that were convicted and brought to sit at the feet of Jesus in the New Hebrides. The 3,500 cannibals in an island just south that were led to renounce their heathenism, their idolatry, and their cannibalism and turn to Christ. And on and on the changes came to these cannibals' lives because of what God did through one willing and faithful man, John Gibson Patton. He will hear, well done. But guess who else is going to hear, well done? His father. Yes, his father who prayed in that closet three times a day and prayed with his every breath. That faithful father will be credited for every soul that came to repent and believe in Jesus. Life upon life. One life connecting to another, touching countless others. Each person has been granted a unique combination of stewardships. So all must be evaluated individually according to what each has been given. No two are the same. So one by one, each saint will come before the Lord. The eyes, the Lord's eyes that are described like flames of fire will gaze upon our lives and he will test the quality of our life and our work, even the thoughts and motives of our hearts. And get this, ladies. Think about, just picture yourself standing next to Jesus. We will see our lives moment by moment as he has seen us. We will come to know ourselves as we are known to the Lord. And it will most likely be at that moment we will know how much he loved us. Because nothing 
Nothing is hidden from his sight. And it's at the Bema we will truly come to know how deep is his mercy and how truly amazing is his grace. There will be no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But as we sit here today in our unglorified bodies and we think of the sum of our lives as Jesus sees our lives, we may grieve to know how we waste time on those shallow things or or opportunities we've missed We are examining ourselves right now. I know I am. (laughs) And we know how very selfish even a believer in Christ can be. We know how many times we serve ourselves and not others. How we don't trust the one who is so worthy to be trusted. Ecclesiastes 9 explains it very clearly to us. The hearts of men are full of evil and there is madness in their heart while they live. But God, rich in mercy, loaded with mercy, dripping with mercy, mercy beyond compare. It's really difficult to find the words to express the depths of his love. What wondrous love is this? Why do those hymn writers always ask these questions? They don't know either. (laughs) But you are his special treasure. Every believer is wrapped in his love now and will forever be. And, you know, it will amaze us to see the martyrs throughout church history come forward to take their place on the platform to receive their rewards. We will be stunned at the high cost it was for them to be in Christ because we've had it so easy here in the United States in the 20th and the 21st century. Oh, boy, have we had it easy. Have we ever taken for granted our freedom that we even have to go to church? Have we forgotten what a privilege it is to own a Bible or 10, or 20, or 350 online. I mean, seriously. People died to bring us that Bible, and we'll meet them. Have we, have we become complacent in our comfortable lives? I love this verse in 2 Kings 19.28. It says, your complacency has come up to my ears. And complacency and arrogance are actually synonymous. So you could ask the question this way. Have we become arrogant in our comfortable lives? Oh, yeah. It will become more evident with every person who comes before the Lord at the Bema that no one gets to heaven by any work of their own. We cannot do the Christian life on our own, and we cannot get to heaven on our own. What a ridiculous notion (laughs) that we can contribute anything to this amazing grace and divine unmerited favor. To see God's sovereign hand now working in all the details in every believer's life for our good and his glory, the complexities of God's wisdom will most likely be way beyond even our glorified comprehension. We will see people who, who chose to, gave up the, to get, give up their life. I think of one woman in the third century who lived in a small town that had been invaded by the Roman garrison. And the whole town was slaughtered because they had held fast to Christ and would not participate in pagan rituals. This one woman, she had a chance to flee, but she chose to hide some Christians in her house knowing they would face certain death. And she will be rewarded greatly on that day by the Lord. And that is exactly what Hebrews eleven thirty five says. Okay, I memorized that chapter like 30 years ago and I finally figured out what it meant. A little slow. Here's what. (laughs) Get this. Others were tormented, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. They 
shows they were thinking about the Bema. That's stunning. At least it was to me. <laughs> we will see this woman, Antonia, from the third century at the Bema, and we will watch her receive the crown of life described in Revelation 2.10. And then I think of Fanny Crosby, blinded at six weeks old by a mistreatment by a doctor. She grew up, she never had any animosity towards the doctor, but instead, get this, she was grateful because she knew the first face she would see would be Jesus's. Yeah. How, she couldn't, how could she complain? She was, write, she was too busy writing 8,000 hymns. She was too busy to complain. And one of them contains my favorite lyric. We'll sing it later today. Perfect submission, perfect delight. That is written by a woman who lost her sight because of the negligence of a doctor. And she writes perfect submission, perfect delight. I just thought I'd throw that in. And then the next line, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, written by a blind woman. Uh, angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Fanny was so close to him. Her hymns reveal such a deep abiding in Jesus that this blind woman, she saw the invisible world and it came out all through her hymns. Let's read all 8,000 of them right now. Get the hymn on. <laughs> it only take a few minutes. Oh, how Fanny longed for Jesus to return. We will watch her receive the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8 that is awarded to those who loved his appearing. So, girls, if you start to love his appearing and think about it, you're going to get a crown just for loving it. And what about the children who die so young? We just had a tragedy in our community. I mean, is there anything worse? A mother or father sending their children off to school and they don't come back? I don't even have words for that. But what about the little children who die so young? What about all the babies who die? Will they be there? Oh, yes. Jesus said, do not hinder the children from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And our pastor, Dr. MacArthur, wrote this beautiful book, Safe in the Arms of God. Get that book and read it. It's beautiful. It describes everything. It goes through every scripture. They die before committing horrible, willful sins. They never had to experience the horror of the evil that is within all of us. They also have no achievements. There's not much to review of their little lives. They, they didn't live long enough to experience earthly service. So there won't be the same heavenly rewards compared to someone who's lived 90 years and served him faithfully all those decades. Those children and even the thief on the cross... They will enjoy the full blessings, the full blessings of heaven alongside those who labored all of their lives. Oh, those little ones will be glorified, fully glorified. And they will get to meet their earthly parents. They will get to meet their parents who wept over their deaths. Is there anything more painful than losing or having to bury a child? Oh, but those reunions in our glorified bodies... Ladies, you're going to get to know what this scripture means in 2 Corinthians that says for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comprehension. This is not our home. Right now we can only imagine how 
blessed those reunions will be. Oh, but they will happen soon and very soon. You know, infant mortality at the turn of the 20th century was extraordinarily high. My father was the only one of five children who survived. All of his siblings were born and lived and died as infants. He was the only one who survived. And a group of women at that time who were losing their children got together and they started to pray. They didn't know what else to do. They were helpless. And they prayed. And this was long before hospitals ever were created. This was way before a NICU ever was in a thought in somebody's mind. But think about this. We will get to know those women who prayed at the Bema. You mothers who benefited from NICUs, you can thank them for praying. See, we have no idea the power of our prayers. The fruit of a prayer can turn up a hundred years later. And you're not going to know about it until you get to the Bema. That's stunning. We will get to see the great figures of church history come before the Bema. It will be thrilling, especially for me, to see William Tyndale. He's one of my favorites. Receive his rewards from the Lord. The Lord he loves so much and serves so selflessly. I mean, this was the guy who translated the Bible into English for the first time, right? The Lord gave him all the talents, gave him all the gifts to do it, but Tyndale was faithful and sacrificed having a normal life. He didn't marry, he didn't have any kids, and he was on the run for his life, living in seclusion with his little Greek New Testament and his little dictionary. And this man made it possible for us to understand God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This, this is the man who made it possible to hear, I am the light of the world. And that man spent the end of his days in a dark dungeon with rats. And what was his crime? Translating the Bible into English. Oh, what wonderful rewards William Tyndale is going to receive. You know, people always give praise and honor to great theologians, and, that, and that's all fine and good, but no one pays attention to this guy. And I think he would love it this way. I think he doesn't want to be talked about. He just wants the word to be talked about, right? But it is interesting. You know, here's the guy who gave us the Bible in the English language, but at the, at the Bema, every church-aged saint will cheer when this man receives all the crowns the Lord is going to bestow on him. And the Lord will say, William, behold your harvest. And his harvest will be every single believer in the church age. Wow. None of us will most likely be an historical figure in church history. We sit under a a pastor who is, but we won't be. But I do believe we're going to be blown away at the Bema when Christ rewards us for what he did through you with what he gave you, and you're going to see how many lives you touched. Even if we were someone who was housebound and all we could do was pray, we will see the fruit of those prayers and all that God did through our praying. Mothers who are pouring your lives into your little ones and showing them Christ every day. You moms are going to be blown away by the little things you probably have forgotten all about or didn't even know about. Something they witnessed you doing that influenced your child for Christ. 
I think of the mothers who, who get up early to pray and have their Bibles open so that their children can see their devotion to God. Those kids may walk by their mother in rebellion for years and years and years and years and years, but oh, that picture of their mother is just going to be impacted on them for eternity. And you know, think about the Proverbs 31 woman. Do you Just think about it. There are no words of hers recorded in Proverbs 31. I hate to say that to a room full of women with the gift of gab, but <laughs> no words were recorded, only her works her character, and her fear of God. Think about that, ladies. (laughs) The mother, you're doing all you can out of love and devotion for your Lord and Savior, and that love will impact a life for eternity. And what about you single gals? If you're single, it may be hard to realize, but there have been single people all through history. You know, Jesus was single. (laughs) So I wanted to consider a single woman's bima, what a single woman's bima might look like. Say she lived around the early 1900s in Hoboken, New Jersey, only because I like Hoboken, New Jersey. But so she rises to the platform to receive her rewards, and there's this unfamiliar sound, and it's coming from the angelic hosts. It's the sound of excitement and rejoicing. I mean, no human being knows who this woman is. And yet the angels know her. She didn't accomplish anything heroic. She didn't found some great institution of higher learning. She was simply a faithful member of a local church. Let's say she was a school teacher. And perhaps, you know, she she taught Sunday school. And she cared maybe for her elderly mother. She never married, though she longed greatly to be married. But she was single all her long, long, long life. (laughs) What was different about her? Why did the angels get excited to see her? Well, she stopped feeling sorry for herself, and she learned to pray. And she became a prayer warrior, so much so that the enemy trembled. The devil wants to keep saints from prayer. He doesn't fear your prayerless studies and your prayerless service. He laughs at your toil. He mocks at your wisdom, but he trembles. When you pray. She prayed with such an intimacy with Jesus. That intimacy made her a powerful prayer. Her heart beat with his heart. She learned to abide. She loved him with an undivided heart. She was so filled full of Jesus that she needed little else. She trusted him in every part of her life. She was so close to him. She could pray, believing things had already happened, and that's right out of Mark 12. Her students were shown the love of Christ, and she prayed countless numbers of them into the kingdom. And you know, one of her Sunday school students came to know the Lord, and he went on to share the love of Christ with thousands of people. And our little teacher from Hoboken never knew what happened to that guy. But at the Bema, she will get a reward for everything her student did to the glory of God, because she was faithful. She may not have seen the fruit of her faithfulness until the Bema. Thousands were affected and changed because of this woman's quiet but mighty prayers and quiet faithful service. No wonder the angels fluttered with joy when she stepped up to the platform. They probably carried out many, many answers 
to her prayers as God dispatched them to help believers all over the world. You know, I think of the brazen question that James and John, you know, the sons of Zebedee, asked when they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine they said that? (laughs) We probably thought it, but we never said it. (laughs) But what do you want me to do for you, he says. And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. And perhaps it's someone like that single woman from Hoboken, New Jersey, that would get that kind of high honor. We'll have to wait and see when we get there. Now, perhaps, now let's see. Oh, yeah. What about the wife who took care of her sick husband for 15 years? She will come to the platform and we will learn that her husband suffered with a brain tumor for 15 years. He went through countless surgeries. His seizures were violent and he became unable to work. She cared for him and worked to help provide all those years. It was not an easy life. This is long-term suffering. And perhaps we will hear the Lord commend her and say this, though you were weakened by trials, by sin, by illness and tears and sorrow and frustrations during your earthly life, though you became weary beyond imagination, you kept looking to me. And Jesus will say, you saw my faithfulness emerge amidst the tears of your tiredness. Your heart remained grateful even though your husband's illness made him like Jekyll and Hyde. Some days felt heavier than others. They were lonely, discouraging, but you kept trusting me. You kept telling me about all those feelings and all those emotions. You turned to me to help you, to hold you, to heal you. You knew no temptation would come overtake you. You knew that I am faithful and I can help you to endure Oh, woman of excellence, you served your husband, you loved your husband, all to the glory of God. Well done, Trudy, my good and faithful servant. Now, if looking at the Bema today tells us anything, it tells us that life matters. Your choices matter. And your actions really matter. Life is not a game. There are choices to make courses of action to take, priorities to set in order to determine the direction of your life. All these choices have eternal consequences. We looked at the scripture that explains the Bema in 2 Corinthians 5.10. But the scripture right before it tells us how. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore we also have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Make it your goal to please him. We can please him by how we live. We can please him by the choices and our actions and our attitudes. We can please God by having our motives to be to give God the glory. Ladies, there are three things that are eternal, only three. The word, worship, and people. Invest your time, invest your resources, your energy in that which is eternal. Because we all want to hear, well done, don't we? 1 John 2, 28 has kind of a shocking verse. It says, abide in me that when he appears, we may not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, I mean, that's a sobering thought that we could be ashamed before him because of the choices that we made. Knowing all of this, can you now live your life with a sense of urgency? 
We are all on borrowed time. Those two children that were killed this week did not know that was their last day, and you don't either. Neither do I. We do not know the day, whether by death or rapture, he will come for us. Life matters. Choices matter. Make choices that please him and give him great glory. And then the Bema will conclude. And all of a sudden, we may see these that the heavens just filled with flashes like lightning all around us. They're flashes of lights exploding all around us in the heavenlies. And what could that be? Well, it's the saints casting their crowns before Jesus' feet. But you know what the word cast means? It means to throw. They're throwing. All the saints are just throwing and are hurling the crowns they just received into the heavenlies. And all they all wonderfully end up at our Lord's feet. Oh, and a great crescendo of praise and thanksgiving will erupt in the heavenlies. So let's say Revelation 19 together. Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of had come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous age of the saints. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas great through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home when we Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 
Well, when you sent it to me, of course, it's a favorite verse of mine, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach me to number my days, O Lord, that I might apply my heart to wisdom. Um, I had gotten a diagnosis of reoccurring cancer. I had cancer eight years ago, and it's back. And when you sent me the song, it was, um, oh, Jesus, how, how we are but a wisp of smoke, fading vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. And so I better count my, I better number, I better treasure my days, mm. things I don't count, I waste. You know, but we're so good at counting calories, we're so good at counting, you know, the money in the bank, we're so good at counting, our, you know, every, everything that needs to be counted and how many eggs are in the refrigerator, but we so fail to count our days, which are probably the most precious things we have. And so the song is such an anthem for me right now, going through radiation and fighting this cancer, you know, to count my days. I am counting the number of my days That I may gain a heart of wisdom And follow in God's ways It won't be long, I will be gone I'll see Him face to face So I'm counting the number of my days Won't be long, I'll be forgotten by this world But I will never be That's yet to come Cause I will see The one who knew me Before I was known So I'm counting The number of my days Lord help me see The world that's yet Yeah.